Thing on the Savior of the world. In John chapter 3, the Savior of the world. It's a very familiar chapter, we all know. But I want to read verses 14 and 15. And Moses lifted up the serpent, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now John chapter 3 begins with Jesus speaking to Nicodemus about being born again. Nicodemus was a, a very educated man, and he had questions. He, he understood that Jesus was doing miracles, but he couldn't quite understand Jesus. So he comes to him in the evening time with a number of questions, and the Lord basically says to him, if I talk to you about earthly things and these are incomprehensible to you, then what would be the point of me talking to you about spiritual things? So the Lord is basically saying, as wise as you are, as smart as you are, there still are these, uh, these bundle of facts over here that you cannot really figure out. And so the Lord said, we've got to work with you from the natural to the spiritual. Well, he goes on and asks him a question in verse 10. And he basically said, are you a teacher or a master and you don't understand these things? He's trying to work him up to the point where he will see that Jesus is unique, that Jesus isn't like anybody he's ever come in contact with. So the Lord has to reach back into the Old Testament to find a story that speaks about him. Now, we already know from John chapter 5, Jesus told the scribes, Pharisees, and everybody else, search all of the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but all of those scriptures testify about me. From Jesus' perspective, Genesis to Malachi has a lot to do with who he is. His operations, his person is explained in the Old Testament scriptures. So in verse 14, because Moses was definitely beloved amongst the Jewish people of Jesus' day, he, he, he lets him know that the same way in, that the serpent was lifted up, I have to be lifted up. And life is going to come to everybody who believes in me. Well, we need to see this story. So let's go to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. In a red letter Bible, one of the things we forget very often is that 80% of the statements that Jesus makes, you can find them in the Old Testament. He's usually not rambling because he's not a rambling God. Everything that he says has some point to it. In Numbers 21, this is where the children of Israel have the issue with the fiery serpent of brass that Moses is told to make. So beginning with verse 1, when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And so that's exactly what happened, as you can see in verse 3. In verse 
4, they're making their journey from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to come past the land of Edom. Those are their cousins, Esau, Edom, same person, different names. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now let's remind ourselves of what the children of Israel were like. They multiplied in Egypt under the favor of a good pharaoh that loved them. And then that pharaoh that loved them died. So Joseph was gone, and then came a pharaoh that didn't even have a memory of who Joseph was, didn't even know who Joseph was, I should say, and certainly didn't care about the, the Jewish people. So the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord sent Moses. Moses delivered them. And the children of Israel, being very similar to church in the New Testament, as we know from Acts chapter 7, verse 38, they're the church in the wilderness. Some days they had good days. Other days they had bad days. Some bad days are starting here because it says at the end of verse 4, the soul of the people was discouraged because of the way. And they're unhappy because they don't understand why God's leading them like this. There are a lot of different paths God can take us down. Why is he taking us this way? This seems out of the way, and and I'm tired, and I'm frustrated. We've heard about a promised land. We're nowhere near a promised land, and, and I'm upset about it. Now, this happens to Christians all the time. If you walk with God for any amount of time, you'll probably have a period in your life where you're either discouraged or fighting discouragement. And if you are discouraged, typically you're going to be discouraged because of how you believe God is handling your way, your path, your life, your circumstances. But discouragement rarely stays in the heart of the person that is unhappy. It usually comes out of the mouth. And the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can generally gauge where a person is in their Christian life and in their spiritual health and in their spirituality by how they talk. And you find somebody that murmurs and complains about everything. You have somebody whose heart is discouraged by what's going on. So unhappy people then, of course, they, they, I don't, why, is this, why is it like this? I could have did this in life. I could have did this. Why didn't God help me with this? Why didn't God provide me with that? That's how the children of Israel was at this time. Look at verse 5. And the people spake against God. That's only natural. See, when you're frustrated and you're, you're sad and you've committed your way to the Lord and you don't feel like God's handling you, you the right way, you complain and you complain to God. And then it says, and against Moses. Why do they complain against Moses? Because Moses is the one they can see. And he's supposed to be the representative of God. So these people who have seen miracles, signs, and wonders, who have seen the Red Sea roll back and either side become a wall of protection to them so they could walk through on dry ground, now they have forgotten how wonderful God is and clouds of despair have covered up God and now they're complaining. Have you ever done that? You ever had a period where you were happy and rejoicing about how wonderful God is and he blessed you and you were exceedingly happy. And 30 days later, I don't even know if God even knows I live here. He doesn't even care about me. See, that kind of a thing. This is what what they're dealing with. And listen to what they're saying. Verse 5. It says now, 
Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? That's what they're saying to Moses. Okay, as if, as if Moses forced everybody to leave Egypt. God opened a wonderful door of opportunity and freedom for them through the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. There are a whole lot of Israelites that could have said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm enjoying the leeks and the garlic and the slavery and the excessive labor. You go out there and sacrifice. I'm staying right here and serve God. They didn't do that. They followed Moses, and in verse 5, now they're turning on him, and they're saying, why have you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? Now, this is one of the reasons a lot of people don't want to pastor. I've told people before, pastoring would be outstanding if you didn't have to deal with people. (laughs) Yeah. It's like when you talk about marriage, you tell folks, marriage is perfect. It's, It's the people that are the problem, see? The husband and the wife, the ceremony is is outstanding. The covenant, it's grand, but it's the people. So when we, when we look at this, you can see how difficult it is for some people to try to shepherd and lead people because if sheep don't maintain their mentality and their character, they can't be led. They can't be led. You, you can't force anybody to do what they don't want to do. Here we have it. And notice what else they said. There's no bread. There's, there isn't any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. So they're complaining about the manna. Now, this is not the first time they complained about the manna. We're in Numbers 21. Back up and go to Numbers 11. Numbers 11. Let's see here. I have the... Right one there. Okay, Numbers 11. Let's look here at verse number, verse number four. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, and we did eat that we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. See, whenever you're, you're displeased with where you are in the present, what God's doing in your Christian life, then sometimes if you don't guard your thoughts, you'll start looking back on your old past life as though it was really wonderful when you know you hated it. Yeah, you know you hated it. You complain about it more than you complain about what's going on now. And some people look back and they say, I can remember before I started serving God, I had a good life. Really? You may think you had a good life. Your body was a haunted house. The adversary <laughs> lived in there. That's all it was. It was no, no good life. Now your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. Our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. See? They're complaining again. Let's go to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus 16, you'll see in verse 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Uh, This is the third occasion where they're murmuring, and I'm telling you by now, somebody ought to be looking for a new church. 
And the children of Israel said to him, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. See, they're always thinking about death and dying. It says, When we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly. Then verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and people shall gather out, go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then you can see in verse 7, he talks about uh, the glory of the Lord being prepared and fulfilled. You come down and start reading with verses 13 and keep going down and you'll see where the manna was supplied. Now here is the key to all of this. God provided them the manna and the people rejoiced because they were hungry and the Lord provided them with food supernaturally every day. Six days a week, we'll say. They didn't have to labor for it. They didn't have to plow ground for it. It was there just outside of the tent. All they had to do was get their lazy selves up, go outside the tent, gather it in, and on the sixth day, take in double the amount so that they could have some for the Sabbath day. And the scripture says anything that was left over, it bred worms and it started to stink. Now, this is what God did for them. He did this for them for 40 years through all of their murmuring. But when they received it in the beginning, they were excited. But something that begins as a blessing, if you're not careful, you begin to treat it as if it's a curse. And there are a lot of people who prayed and said, God, could you grant me this or give me this or supply this for me? And then God supplies it. And we rejoice because we have the opportunity to do what we wanted, to have what we wanted to have, and then a short time later, we're complaining to God because we don't even like the thing that we prayed for in the beginning. Happens all the time. And that's what the children of Israel are doing. Father, I'm tired of being alone. Supply me with a spouse. God gives you one a year later. Why'd you give me this one? <laughs> See, you know, you ask God for a car, somebody, somebody's heart is touched, they bless you with a car, and you drive around that car, you're so happy and so proud, and then six months, nine months later, you're complaining and saying, well, this thing, this old lemon, I can't believe somebody even gave this thing to me. You see how our emotions and our attitude changes? This is what we have here in Numbers 21. Let's go back to it now. So they're saying in verse number five, our soul loatheth this light bread. So they've gone from loving it and enjoying it to hating it. There's a whole teaching on that, that we should not hate the blessings that God gives to us. And many people do. And these folks were vocal about their uh, displeasure with regard to how God was handling them. So in verse 6, if you're going to hate what God gives, and you're going to murmur against God's leader and against him, verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Now these are folks who probably had a a few ladies amongst them that didn't like snakes. And here they are. Now, if you're out in the wilderness and there are conservatively a million and a half of you out there, and don't think that you can't get a million and a half people in the wilderness, I guarantee you, you can take everybody in the state of Nebraska, and there are probably certain counties you can get everybody within. 
if you just stood them shoulder to shoulder. But you imagine all of these people out in the wilderness, and, and then people start yelling and screaming because suddenly they see all of these slithering things making their way into the camp, and they couldn't even get away from them because according to the scripture, it says, and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Now, I've never met a snake that can catch me when I'm running. I assume they exist, but I'm not going to find out. I've heard there are such things as racer snakes, but I still don't think even that will catch me. You better believe I'll be, I'll be gone. They say, I never knew the pastor could walk on water. <laughs> Moving. <laughs> Verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpent. Notice who did it. So God is the one behind this. He, he's displeased with the fact that they're murmuring and, and, and their complaints and everything. So let, let's not do that. If, if we're walking with God and God's doing some really wonderful things for us and he supplied us with a nice home and a nice vehicle and you've got a wonderful family and a, and a good life and you wake up in your home and you're, you're quite pleased because you're not too cold and you're not too hot, maybe we ought not be complaining. Maybe what we should do is tell God, thank you for the blessings that you brought into my life. Now, I'm not saying that there are things that you don't desire uh, and, and things you're not praying for, and you should pray. The Bible says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. So your greatest conception of God's ability to answer your prayer is minuscule in comparison to what God is able to really do for you. <clears throat> I'm just saying that as you're walking with God, be careful about blaming God for what you don't have in your wilderness. You don't want to do that. Be very careful about that. So verse number seven. Therefore, when the people came to Moses and said, they said, we've sinned. So when the snake started biting people in verse six and people started dying, do you think that folks got kind of excited? And we're trying to figure out, figure out what's going on. But obviously they knew that they had done something wrong because in verse 7 they went to Moses and said we have sinned. So they're able to make the connection between their sin and the serpents. They're able to do that. And if they can put two and two together and realize before we started murmuring and complaining to God, before we started murmuring and complaining to Moses, we had no snakes. But now they're everywhere. Maybe we ought to stop talking and stop complaining and stop murmuring. There may be things that manifest in our, in our vicinity that wouldn't appear otherwise if we weren't murmuring and complaining. Yeah, I mean, the Bible says one day we'll give an account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. So that means God's paying attention to what we're saying. That's what the scripture says. And the Bible says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth he reaps. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to of the flesh reap corruption. Here we have it. He says, or they say, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. They knew exactly what the problem was. And then they said, you pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They didn't even feel like they could get through to God. 
He said, Moses, you are in a good place with God right now. It's obvious he's not happy with us. So could you please talk to God? Can you imagine this discussion going on with people dying all over the place? And snakes slithering around and people screaming and yelling and little infants probably running around grabbing snakes by the tail acting like there's not a problem. And here they're acknowledging their sin and their misdeed. And the scripture says Moses prayed for the people. Don't tell me he wasn't a patient pastor or elder. Moses had a chance one time talking with God. And the Lord said, I'm so tired of these Israelites murmuring. Said, Moses, let me just wipe the earth clean of all of them. We'll start over with you and we'll start a brand new people. And Moses said, oh, no, Lord, please don't do that. Now, had it been one of you, you probably would have said, please, can we get started now? <laughs> I mean, I'm, a, I'm as tired of them as you are, you see. But verse, verse, verse number uh, seven, Moses prayed for the people. I, I think Moses loved these people despite how they acted. And this is the kind of love and a relationship that people have because they're, they're connected. You, you tend to tolerate and put up with the faults of people that you're close to when you wouldn't normally do that with other people that you're not close to. You put up with weaknesses in your family members that you wouldn't necessarily put up with in your neighbors. Uh, we will put up with weaknesses in our spouses that we wouldn't necessarily put up with in a girlfriend or boyfriend. Everything changes once people become genuinely connected. And I hope that when you have issues with people that are murmuring and complaining, that, that maybe you'll pray for them. Remember what Jesus said, pray for your enemies? This is why. Uh, Paul talks about people who bite and devour one another. Our words are so strong that, that we, can, we can destroy people. Yeah. It's, a, it's another form of, of cannibalism, of verbal cannibalism, where we're just using our language to tear one another down. And I don't know how Moses got off the ground some days when he was laying on his face before the Lord. Some of the things he heard uh, people say to him, I started to teach tonight on the rebellion of Korah. That's a whole other story where Moses has to go before God again because he's burdened with these people saying, we're tired of you. And there are a lot of people to deal with that. If you've, if you've had employees that work for you that don't like you and, and disrespect you uh, to your face and they don't mind letting you know what they think. And, you know, you, you, you feel many times uh, offended and, and sometimes uh, disrespected because all you're trying to do is your job. So verse 8, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses. He's heard from the people. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, make a fiery serpent, put it on a pole, and it'll come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. Now this took time. People are dying as they're constructing the pole. If you have to make a fiery serpent of brass, somebody's got to get the brass and melt it all down. Somebody's got to either, either make a casting of some kind of serpent or take one of the serpents that are out there and put it in the brass, and then you then got to put it on the pole. So the whole process 
of producing their salvation took time and people were dying as they were erecting it. See, that's the thing. But we thank God for the whole plan of salvation, don't we? And it doesn't necessarily make sense. Who would ever think that by constructing a pole with a serpent on it, that that's going to produce life in people that are dying? Well, the whole point is that the, the serpent is an image of their sin and their transgression. The, a snake can't heal. But the Lord simply wanted them to have a vision of the very thing that they created that's producing death in them. Because of their iniquity, the serpents came. Because of their sin, the serpent represents their transgression. So the Lord said, you, you, you have acknowledged your transgression, transgression and your sin, so now you look upon this thing that's bringing death, and this is what's going to produce life in you. But you've got to believe that the serpent on the pole is going to produce health. So the element of faith is necessary here in verse number 8, and it says, everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. The only people we know that were bitten are people in covenant with God. The children of Israel, the Jewish people, they were bitten. Then he says, when he looketh upon it, he shall live. So there are people all over the ground that are laying around and they're slowly dying. Life is eking from them. And there's somebody now running throughout the people with a serpent on the pole. There are more than a million and a half people. If you got people sprawled all out around Fair County and you got one man with the answer, how long do you think it's going to take for him to run around? Yeah, a while. And all the while he's running, people are dying. Can you see why we need to do what we can to make sure people understand salvation and the plan rather than just hoping and waiting that eventually it will get to them? It won't just come to them. Somebody has to take it to them. Otherwise, they will die right there where they are in their wilderness. In verse number 9, And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole. It came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. It didn't say the serpent of brass cured them of leprosy. It didn't say the serpent of brass cured them of, of some kind of blood disease. It said everybody that had been bitten by a snake and they were dying and that venom was in their body and respiratory system breaking down and all kinds of other factors are at work in their body and their mobility is slowing down when they got a glimpse of it. I don't care if, if the person was a quarter of a mile away and all they saw was the top of the pole bouncing over the heads of people when the man was carrying it. If they got a glimpse of it, they were made whole. That's the beauty of this. So when Jesus says in John chapter 3, as the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, that's how I am. Now you see what he's talking about. Let's come back to John 3 now. Again, in his discussion with Nicodemus in verse 14, now we have the context. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So it's important for the knowledge of Christ to be spread. Has to be told. And people need to know. The same way the serpent of brass was carried around, we have to do the same thing. Now before I teach the, the rest of this, let me at least tell you this. 
The, the serpent of brass became a snare to the children of Israel because in 2 Kings, when Hezekiah was the king and he was getting rid of all the idolatry and stuff, he had to go into one of the buildings and pull out the serpent of brass on that pole because the children of Israel had started burning incense to it like it was a god. That is the problem with holding on to relics and material fragments that you think had something to do with Jesus or religion. And there are some people in this world, they can't pray unless they've got beads in their hand. See? There are people in this world, they are not comfortable in going to church or doing anything unless they, they're holding a crucifix when they're going through their prayers. Folks, you don't need that. That becomes a snare to your soul. And you may say, well, no, I don't use it as that and I don't worship it that way. The fact that you're having a migraine headache and going off on everybody because they won't put it in your hands, that tells you it's a problem. You don't have to have the physical thing. I mean, what would that be like to go into a room and someone has a, a snake on a pole and hear people are burning incense to it like it's God. Jesus died on the cross. But the crucifix in your life and in my life is not supposed to be used as a magic amulet. See, It's not that. It is what the serpent on the cross was. An, an image and a representation of sin. He died because of our sin. That cross had to appear with him on it because of our misdeeds. There never would have been a fiery serpent on a pole had it not been for Israel's transgression. There never would have been a death of Jesus on the cross had it not been for our sins. And since our sins put him on the cross, we don't worship the wood. We worship the God, the Savior. See, that's, that's very important for helping you in your devotional life and when you're talking with other people who, who cannot seem to set themselves free from icons and images and pictures and stuff like that that they have to have. I had somebody told me many, many years ago, they'd come here uh, to church, really enjoyed the teaching, really enjoyed uh, the fellowship and the people and everything, but they said to me, you know, but the one thing I have to have that you guys don't supply, you don't supply the stained glass windows. And I, I really need to feel that during the liturgy where I can have a sense of holiness. Well, then you probably need to be somewhere else because we're not going to try to <laughs> provide that kind of a thing. What you need in your relationship with God is a pure heart and a desire to talk with him and a savior that saves from sin. When it becomes material like that, then, then that's a problem. I can worship God under, under a bamboo tree. I could worship God out in a rice field. It wouldn't matter if we were out standing in the middle of Milo. I could worship God anywhere. If, if we had cattle next to us, it wouldn't bother me at all. I could be on the street corner and love the Lord because it's not about the place or the conditions. It's about my heart and it's about a Savior. That's all it is. If you know that, you can keep yourself right with God and not have to be led over into superstition. So verse number 14 in John 3 again. In the same manner the serpent was lifted up, likewise the Son of Man must be lifted up. Verse 15, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we have the same parallel, whoever believes. Now there are folks in this world who will tell you that 
when Jesus died on the cross, he only died on the cross for a select group of people. He didn't die for everybody on the planet. He only died for people that the Lord redeemed from all eternity past. A very small group of people, which usually includes the speaker and their family. Yeah, yeah, usually includes them. But notice verse 15, whosoever, that word is big enough for anybody. Somebody in India, somebody in Europe, someone in South America, someone here in North America, whoever believes in him should not perish. Now remember the story with the children of Israel. It said, everyone that believes and has been bitten, they'll be, they'll be made whole. Now if you read the story of the children of Israel, you know when they came out of Egypt, there also were some Egyptians mixed in with them. And that's why the scripture calls them a mixed multitude sometimes. I guarantee you, whoever they were that were mixed in with the children of Israel, if they were bitten by the serpents and they still were following after God, they were made whole too. Yeah. Also. And just so you wouldn't believe that this thing was narrowly confined specifically to Jews or to a certain group of people, verse 16 says, God so loved the what? The world. See, the whole world. Well, the world is a big place. More than 200 nations in the world presently. I don't know how many it would have been in Jesus' day, but I'm sure there were more languages spoken in his time than there are now. We know of at least 6,000 recorded languages today. But think of how many Native American uh, languages that have died out in the last 150 years. Think of all the different Indian dialects and African dialects that have died out with people. But yet verse 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So here is how the Lord put together another kind of serpent on the cross. Because of mankind's sin. And he planted that cross right in Israel. He died right in Jerusalem. Worked miracles all over Galilee and throughout Judea and other places. And the scripture is very plain. Whoever believes in him should not perish. And the difference between one man running throughout their county with a serpent on a pole or running throughout ancient Israel with that is that now we can take this message and go all around the world and lift up the name of Jesus. And no matter where we are, when we tell it, people can be made whole. He's the savior of the world. Not just the savior of a few. Thank God for that. Whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize this evening that you're never going to die? I mean, can you even conceive that you are never going to die? One day, sure, somebody's going to take your body, put it in a casket, it's going to go in the ground, but you're going to be as alive by the time we put you in the ground as you are sitting here right now. There's no end to your existence. You're going to go into the presence of God. As Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Human beings are the only creation on the planet that are able to produce a being that has an eternal existence. Insects can't do it and animals can't do it. Every baby comes into this world will have an eternity. We're either going up with the Lord or somebody's going to be separated from God. That's all there is to it. Our role is to make sure that we tell a dying populace 
Please get your eyes on this Savior. Stop thinking about yourself. Get your eyes off of this world and think about the salvation that has been provided for you. The people under the old covenant in this story, they were dying and they knew they were dying. The people we're dealing with now are dying and don't know they're dying. Because many of them don't believe in eternal life. And they certainly don't have a, a full conception of sin as you and I do. Because we'll say something is wrong and they'll say it's not wrong at all. So they don't even realize there's a slow death taking place. Look at verse 17. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Moses wasn't running around trying to condemn the Israelites. He was trying to help get them healed. He said, I want you to live. Look at, this, look at the serpent on the, on the pole. Look at the pole. Look at the pole. He wasn't condemning them, saying, well, you wouldn't be in this condition if you'd been listening to me. He didn't say, you deserve to die right now. Aaron, put that pole down. He didn't say that. He wasn't there to condemn them. He's trying to bring about their salvation in accordance with God's plan. So our role is to tell people about salvation. It's not to condemn people. The scripture makes it very plain in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. I don't have to condemn anyone. You don't have to condemn anyone. Unbelief condemns them. The only thing we're saying to people is, you're condemned and don't know it. It's like having a sentence of, of judgment, of death against you, and nobody even tells you that it's there. There are some court systems where if they can't get the criminal in court, the judge or somebody will actually, they'll have the verdict, and they'll pass the sentence on the person, and they're not even there, not even present. And so this person is wandering around planet Earth, without even knowing that they've been found guilty of a particular crime and they have been found guilty in absentia. So that means if they're ever brought back, they're going to be apprehended, put in jail. So the person who walks around in this world today saying, I deny that Jesus is the Son of God and I don't believe in your Bible and I'm not interested in your form of salvation, they may say that, but they have no idea they are already condemned. They don't know. And so we, we try to share the good news because we don't want them to be lost. And this is the message that has to be taught all around the world. When, when I go and preach in different countries, and if you're ever talking with somebody of a different different ethnic background, you don't have to talk to them about their religion and their gods and tell them that their gods and religions are wrong. Just share with them about Jesus. And if you, if you proclaim the truth of the good news, then the power of the Holy Spirit is able to open up their eyes to their own sin and to the wrongness of false religion. And through conviction, God is able to change a person just like that. So this same man, Nicodemus, who comes to visit Jesus here in the night, when you go to the end of the, the gospel, then you'll be able to see where he's standing by the cross and he wants everybody to know he's connected to Jesus. So we're bringing people out of the shadows. How are we doing that? By sharing the good news that Jesus is, is the Savior of the world. So let, me, let me finish up here. Verse 18 then says, but he that doesn't believe is condemned already. According to Jesus, it's already occurred. It's a past tense deal. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. 
that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Isn't that amazing? You turn the lights on and the bugs run for the corners. And people who despise the light of Christ and despise the light of salvation, they love and crave the darkness. They're looking to be in a place where their deeds won't be seen because there's no conviction then. If I'm doing this stuff and nobody knows it, then it's not so bad. Why do you think the thieves come at night? Most of them don't come during the day. Now that thievery does take place in the daylight hours, but I, I had somebody tell me one time, best time, the best time to do thievery, if you're going to do it, is do it during the storm. They go out there when it's overcast and the rain is pounding the houses because the people on the inside can't hear a thing that's going on in that garage or you out there by a window. Think about that. Yeah. You better believe whenever there's a storm, you know, you, we're making sure. Okay. So this is what Jesus has done for us, and, and we're happy that, that we can run around and let people know. We, we see people passing away, and it's a heartbreaking thing. People who work in hospitals and see people die every day. People in nursing homes who see people die sometimes horrible death. People that work for funeral homes have to be around death and minister to families. Preachers who have to visit with people who are getting ready to die. Some want to talk about their iniquity before they die and get things off of their chest. Family members that are trying to be reconciled with someone before they pass away. It's a, it's a terrible thing to leave this world without having had a chance to get a glimpse of a Savior that died on the cross. Yeah. And I hope and pray God gives us every opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus in this world that we live in. Amen? Aren't you grateful that you know who Christ is? Yeah. The Lord came to us in our wilderness, wherever your wilderness might have been. Could have been in a classroom, could have been in a bar, could have been in a bedroom, could have been in a car. Wherever your classroom or wherever your wilderness was, that's where the Lord came. And he had somebody give you a track. Somebody preached to you on television, preached to you on radio. Some friend that came along said, look, come to church with me, please. Somebody just said, let me give you a hug. Can I talk with you? And when they were doing that, they were lifting up that pole. Lifting it up. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Because this word is so true, and it hits us right between the eyes, especially when it comes to knowing that you are the Savior of the world. We're grateful that you loved us enough that you didn't leave us alone. And we praise you and bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. <laughs>